What a lively bunch, huh? That might be a good good thing to have uh, a problem with there. Is, is that lively of a bunch for our children? They say that repetition is a good teacher, and so hopefully by the uh, end of me doing all that, well, they'll eventually learn that song and have it stuck in their head. Hopefully as you do. <clears throat> hey, go with me this morning to the Gospel of John chapter 15. So the Gospel of John chapter 15. This will probably be for some of you a very familiar uh, passage of Scripture and yet a very powerful one that honestly I don't think I ever get tired of reviewing. Now we just had a reading from chapter 14 so this is nice that we're able to, to sort of transition right into 15. You remember this though, right? In John 15 here, <clears throat> this is Jesus' last night with His disciples. And He's already washed their feet and probably they are on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And with a garden in mind, notice what Jesus says here in John 15, starting with verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You for Your holy Word. We pray now, Holy Spirit, that You would illumine our minds this morning to what You want to say to us. Not even in the human Word, but rather, O Lord... Your Word to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When we were at the uh, really ground level of starting Harvest Point, one of the things I noticed in Genesis that I had never noticed before was actually that the very first command in all of the Bible, I mean, I, I would think that would be pretty important, you know, the very first thing God says to humanity for us to do is, 
is actually to be fruitful and multiply. Fill the land. Of course, subdue it. And that was striking to me. I, you know, I, I guess I just was thinking more like, be holy or love your neighbor or something like that to be the first command. But in fact, it had to be, had to, has to do with being fruitful. And all throughout the Bible, quite frankly, we run into this image that God Himself has laid out of a tree that bears much fruit. A healthy tree. And of course, healthy trees do bear fruit, don't they? It's not something they have to try to do. It's like they're striving to do it. And now, oh yeah, only an elite few really bear fruit. But rather, if you're healthy, if the tree is healthy, then you're going to have fruit. You're going to have produce. And that's really uh, the third point in this uh, series of messages, prepare, plant, and produce, which, is, which is, happens to be our three points uh, here at Harvest Point. That's what we're about, is to be producers, the produce. But you can't get there unless you prepare, unless you plant, and unless you're healthy. And so notice here what Jesus does. Again, this is His last night with His disciples. He's saying some extremely important things to them. Some of the most important things to be said, really. And one of, one of those is, of course, the Holy Spirit, as we saw in chapter 14. But now in 15, He says, I am the true vine. In other words, He is the archetype. He's the prototype from which all other plants, fruit, produce, good things in life, happiness, holiness, righteousness, forgiveness, all of those things find their source in God. You know, if you have an understanding of God that thinks that He's just at the end, the judgment day, for instance, you know, He's just angry that you're sinning and breaking His rules like some judge would be or like we get. You know, if I set rules down and you don't follow them, then I get frustrated and anxious, you know, angry, whatever. That's not really the picture. We're dead in our trespasses. It's not His fault. I don't know where we get this idea of God sending us to hell. We're sending ourselves there by being dead. By being entrapped, enslaved. The door to our prison cell is wide open and we're just sitting in our own darkness. We're covering our ears, our eyes from the light of Jesus Christ because He has already freed humanity. That's the good news. His work on the cross is a finality. It is finished. The work is done. He can take our place. But that must be appropriated by the Holy Spirit in us. It's not good enough that it was done for humanity. It must be done for us. We must be freed from our sin. I must be freed from my own darkness, from my own transgressions. And as I said, you know, a few months back, you know, a smart TV is only smart because of us. It didn't get there by itself. And unless it's plugged in, it's actually just a piece of junk. It's worthless unless it's plugged into the source. Doesn't that sound familiar to the language that Jesus is using here in John 15? If you don't abide in me, if you're not plugged into me, nothing. Did you catch that? 
It's the same thing that's actually said in some of our one of our favorite chapters is 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. If you don't have love, you have nothing. It's not like, oh, you don't have love, you have, yeah, three quarters, four, you know, you can kind of experience happy. You don't have love, you have nothing. You're not abiding, you actually have nothing. You're at zero. That's not my words. That's Jesus' words on the last night he was with his disciples. And that's pretty significant. And as he's walking, maybe even on the outskirts of the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's going to pray with his disciples, he sees these trees. And being the preacher and pastor that he is, he immediately goes to an illustration to illustrate a very important point, and that is he is the true source, the true vine, the true trunk that we must be engrafted into, that we must grow into just as we grow in his grace. He's the one who originally programmed us. Wasn't he? Talk about programmers, you know, and people of that sort. We have a couple of people who can do programming. I can't speak that language. I don't like lang- really languages anyway, but much less computer languages. C++, all this kind of stuff. That's, that's way beyond my comprehension. And you know what? God is the first programmer. He programmed you to bear much fruit. To produce good things. To be happy. He did not create us to be sad and indifferent and lazy and sinful and dark, evil, asleep. Rather, filled with light, love, happiness, fullness. Jesus said, look, what I did, I came to bring life and life to the max. That's my translation. Life to the max, all the way to the top. Build up your life with abundant life. Who doesn't want that? And it's only found in the source. Now, if he says he's the true vine, that would kind of, in my mind, mean that there are also other vines we can plug into that are not the true source. And quite frankly, sin binds us to ourself. It's kind of weird. Sin, you think you're actually pleasing yourself when you do certain sins, when you transgress. It seems as if we're making ourselves happy. We're getting what we want, right? But have you never noticed when you sin, you actually don't get what you want. It's the greatest trick the enemy has is to entice us, to let us smell the aroma, to be so tempted that we think we can't do anything else but do that sin. But as soon as we do it, He throws it in our face. He begins to entangle us in things that are almost impossible to be untangled. He breaks us in ways that are deep and final, except for Jesus' work. Jesus' salvation. He can bring us out of any sin. Can I repeat that again? He can bring us out of any sin. Whether it is deep anxiety, whether it's deep depression, 
Now, I know there are some mental things that happen, physical things that go along with that, but we can still trust in God even with our brokenness. We can. Not that everything's going to be hunky-dory. I don't know anybody that would all of a sudden it just snap their fingers and everything's hunky-dory. No, we still are going to have the struggles, but we can overcome. It's not... We live in a fallen world where there still is night. Where there still is a raging sea. So there will always be temptations, things that pull on us, but we have an advocate. We have a helper. No addiction is too great for God. Unless we're misreading the Scripture when He says all things are possible through me. He doesn't mean you can throw a football 200 yards. It's not the kind of stuff He's interested in. He says even here, ask anything in My name and it will be given. But the only way it will be given is if you are connected to the source. And when you're connected to the source, you're going to be doing what that tree's doing, right? The trunk of it. You're not going to be some... I mean, again, you know, you don't grow uh, magnolia branches off a pine tree. I've never seen that in my life. It's impossible because a pine tree grows pine branches, not magnolia branches. Point being is, if we're in the vine, we'll be asking for things that are true to the source. Not things that are sinful, selfish. Now that's... That's a problem, isn't it? I mean, do you see a problem with that? At least I do in my own life. Uh, this week, I uh, heard this fellow who I know from a different stage of preacher, and he, he posed a question I'd never really thought about, but he said, if you could get away with anything, if you had zero consequences for your actions, zero, for like one action or whatever, one day, what would you wish for? <laughs> now, I don't want to know what's going through your head, all right? Because <clears throat> I really didn't like what was going through my head. Because I don't know that it was really connected to the source. What got, you, you realize that the only person who truly can do whatever they want, I mean whatever they want, no, no red tape anywhere, no consequences anywhere is God. And look at what He did. He put on flesh. That's like me becoming a slug. He lived with headaches, problems with people. Anybody with me? We're sometimes difficult to get along with, aren't we? Yeah, we're just deceiving ourselves if we think we're not. And He came right down here with us and got all tangled up in our affairs and we killed Him. And He allowed it. He humbled Himself, was concerned more about others than Himself. That's what He did whenever He wished to do whatever it was He wanted to do. That's what He did. He shared. See, we're all the way back to the basics, aren't we? You remember having to learn to share? 
Some of us still don't really know how to share very well, do we? God knows. More so than others. We still have problems sharing things. We still haven't learned the lesson. God is someone who shared. He could have stayed... I mean, he's, you realize God is perfect in Himself, right? He doesn't need anything. Well, I mean, what does God need? He doesn't need anything. And yet, out of His free, can do whatever He wants, nature, He creates us. He likes to share stuff. He likes to share everything He has. And that's so unlike me. I have trouble even sharing books. You know? I'll worry about them when they're gone. I got one gone right now from somebody that I know is tearing the binding up on it. It just kills me inside. And I worry about all these little trivial things, and God just freely gives. How radically different is that? That's the fruit that He wants to see, even right here at Harvest Point, is us to give freely with our time, with our resources, with our energy. With our families. <laughs> um, but sin, our selfishness, binds us. Maybe it's overused, but <clears throat> those trees in my backyard that are now doing very well, they used to be root bound. You know what that means? The guy that planted them did not release the burlap that was around. They were still tied up under the ground. They started dying on me. I started digging down, trying to figure out what was wrong with them, and, and, and I mean, tied up completely in burlap. So I started cutting, cutting those strings of burlap, opening it. I had to dig the whole thing up, dug around it, dug the whole thing up, released the roots to grow, put them back in the ground. You know what? They're thriving now. They've grown over a foot from last year. You see the point here? Sin by... It's not God's fault. He's not saying, yeah, I'm going to really punish him because he's sinning. <laughs> it's us. Flip it around. It's us. We're the ones who have bound ourselves up in all kinds of things and he's got the shears and he's ready to start cutting. He's got the shovel. He's ready to start digging so that we can grow. Blossom. Be who we're really created to be. He's the one who programmed us, not ourselves. We don't even know what makes us happy. We don't. Isn't that a common struggle? Especially my married people, you know? What we're we going to eat? Oh, I don't know. I'm hungry, but I don't know what I want to eat. Oh, well, what do you want to eat? Oh, I don't know. And we go back and forth on this whole thing because we really don't know. We act like we know what makes us happy. We think we know ourselves, but He truly knows who we are. You don't find yourself by looking into yourself. You find yourself by looking into the source, by connecting, by plugging in to the source, and He can match you out. Your life, only He can. You see, the second thing that He kind of says here, not only I'm the true vine, and He says it again in verse 5, I am the vine, making sure that we understand it. Again, He understands how to teach well, and He uses repetition. But did you notice how many times, and I, and I had to go back and just sort of do some groundwork on this as I work with this text, but did you notice how many times He goes back and forth between Jesus talking about Himself, I, me, my, 
And then the Father, how many times he talk about he, the Father, or then how many times he talks about us? Different words for us. He, he talking about the person who is actually connected to the vine, will bear much fruit. Or us. Actually counted it out. Jesus is referred to here in these 11 verses 23 times. In 11 verses. That's a lot. I mean, if you, if you even noticed in my, in my reading of it, there was a lot of my, me, you know, and you're like, man, this is, this is almost like overboard. Father is referred to seven times. And we are referred to 20 times. You know what it tells me? It tells me this. The trunk of the tree is not enough. It has to have branches. It does. And the branches are not enough. They have to have a trunk. In other words, we were created for God. We flow out of God. And when we're not connected to God, we cannot live as He wants. We will not live as He wants. It's not His punishment upon us. Again, it's our fault. Sin is not God's fault, even though He takes responsibility. He doesn't have to. He didn't create sin. He created us good. We're the ones who turned away from Him. And when I say we, I mean every single person that has ever, every every person you see in here and outside these walls who have ever lived has turned their face away from God at some point and are in need of being connected to Him. You can't... You know, I had a birthday this past week. Turned 35. I can't define myself by myself. Because quite frankly, I didn't get here by myself. My mom and dad had a huge part in creating the biology that you see before you. But not only that, they had a deep impact on who I am inside that you can't see other than in my actions. You know, I feel like I've got really good parents. I don't always share that all the time, but uh, we really do. And the reason they're great is not because we had a lot of money growing up. Um, it wasn't because I grew up in a great neighborhood. I grew up beside the railroad tracks, actually. Right beside the railroad tracks. In other words, the train passed. The train was at where Bobby is. Every single night. Actually, probably maybe a little closer than that. To my bedroom window. I mean, it was awesome. We lived on the church property. Uh, in a parking lot was most of my grass, you know, playing, whatever, uh, when we were young. It, it, it wasn't what they gave to me, physically, gift-wise, that mattered, it was that they were there. It really is that simple. Parenting, got to be there. Got to be there. Doesn't mean you have to be awesome at baseball. You don't even have to be a good teacher. (laughs) They were there. Did they always have it together? Of course not. They get into fights? Absolutely. Every relationship should have a fight from time to time means you're alive. I don't know of anybody that always gets along 100% of the time. If they do, then they're probably lying to you. That's somebody tell me, yeah, in our marriage, we never got into a fight for 30-something years. I'm like, oh, you apparently don't talk to each other. 
Did they have it all together? Nope. Did they do all the things by the right book? Nope. Did my dad fail at times? And I, I saw that happen. My mom, yes. But you know what they did? They came and asked for forgiveness. Remember, I smarted off one time to him. He slapped me across the face before I ever even knew it. Before he ever even knew it, I think. It was the only time I ever smarted off to him. Went upstairs and I started crying and he went up there later and he said, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. It takes a lot. You're supposed to be the parent. You're supposed to have it all down, right? No. You need to let them see you fail and ask for forgiveness. It teaches them in their life because they will fail. We're not just trying to put on some stupid show. Not even at church. We want to be real with each other. We're going, to, we're going to get sideways with each other sometimes. We're going to have to ask for forgiveness from each other for sometimes. That's what families do. But they were there. They loved us. They forgave. They encouraged us. They were there. And that's exactly what the body of Christ is to be, isn't it? We're supposed to be here for each other. That's not so hard to do, is it? That's the investment that Jesus wants. That's what being a tree is all about. Trees are there. All my life there are certain trees that have just always been there. That's the point with the tree is it's very faithful. Grow slow. That's alright. That's good news for me. I mean, it's not like we're called to be weeds. Grow up real quick and then they're really produce nothing. But frustration, right? At least for me. No, we're called to be a tree. That might not sound awesome, but it is because we produce fruit. And you know what? The fruit that we produce is not for ourselves. That's the other point with this thing. I've never seen an apple tree eat apples. Orange tree eat oranges. They don't do that. We produce for others, not for ourselves. This is not about me. It's not about you. Even Jesus in His earthly life says, it's not about me. Isn't that crazy? That's Jesus saying that. He didn't say it's about my Father. I say what He tells me to say. And it's about another... Look, if I don't go, guys, another one won't come. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do when He's going to get here? He's going to point to Jesus. They're all pointing and deferring to each other. That's what the church is to be. That's what we are to be. Not self-absorbed. That only equals death, but rather others. He shows the social nature here of not only plant life, but of the Christian life. It is social. Must be. The social nature of God Himself. Do you notice how many the interplay between Jesus and the Father? We read it in 14. Now we're reading it in 15. You go on to 16, same thing, 17. I pray that the, they are one as we are one. Now marriage is an image of that. But the archetype, the prototype, the source... Is God. He's the true relationship. He's the true family that we emulate our families after, not the other way around. And so the whole Christian life is about producing, producing good things, producing fruit that lasts. The only way to do that is not through striving. That's the funny thing. You can't actually. Make a tree give you fruit. But you can set the right condition for it to grow. That's exactly what we do every single Sunday. 
We try to make sure that we're positioned right so that we're in the vine Himself, Jesus. That we're abiding in Him. That we're feeding upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Filling our soul with His food. With His nourishment. With His fertilizer. And naturally, out of that relationship, that supernatural relationship, naturally, guess what? You'll produce good things. One of my problems back in the day was that I looked down upon people. And I couldn't change that. Not by my own strength. But when God's Spirit filled my life, February 28, 1999, I did not look at people the same. That's one example. What's yours? What's yours? What did you come out of? If you're a Christian, it must be something. Because there's no way to have God in you and not be changed. If you're not changed, then you need to recheck that God is in you. Because He comes to change. In a good way. It's in ways that you never would have even imagined. It's things that that, that people will begin to notice about you that you're not even trying to do. It's funny, I was telling Jessica, you know, again, reflecting on my life this week, you know, being 35, I sort of said, I would have, you know, people, people say things to me sometimes and I'm just like, I don't know how, like, I don't even know how you believe that. Like, they, some people think that I'm smart. <laughs> I think that's hysterical. I'm, there's no way that I, like, I wish you could sit in the classes that I've sat in and you'd realize that I'm like the low end of the deal here. I told her, I was like, you know, teacher would have never been something when I was 17, when I met Jesus in a powerful way and He called me. That would have been, ne- that was not even on my radar. I was just hoping to be able to preach. And yet, I teach at a college. Yet we had a great discussion the other Wednesday night. Not led by me, it's what's been passed down to me from the source. It's not my doing. It's unbelievable. He's growing a branch out. And producing fruit that I never would have imagined. What can he do in you? You know what? Without, I mean, Brian's not here right now, but Brian's another example of God taking somebody and he gets connected to the vine and he begins to produce fruit. You know what? Bob could tell you the same thing. You know what? Jesse could tell you the same thing. Aaron could tell you the same thing. Paul could say the same thing. We could go around the room. Rachel, Casey, Justin, me, Jessica. I mean, go around the same. And you know what? These people are up here doing this stuff, and you're like, man, that's awesome. I wish I could do something like that. They're not, I guarantee you talk to them, they're not, yeah, yeah, I'm awesome, man. I always knew I was going to be doing this kind of stuff. No. You never know where the Lord's going to take you when you get plugged in. He's the one who programs you. We don't even know ourselves. I think it's hysterical when people think I'm smart, because I surely don't. I know I'm the low end of the deal, really, the dull knife. Seriously. I'm just scratching the surface trying to understand some things. But you know what? He's giving me gifts. I'm asking for wisdom constantly from Him. I'm connected. I think every single one of these people, I'm connected. John Kerry, I'm connected. It's not our doing. It's the life of Christ in us. It's a relationship. And you can't pull either one of those away. 
<laughs> you should have seen my grades back in the day. Talked to my teachers back in the day, right? Jeremiah says this, He, talking about the righteous person, is like a tree planted by the water. Sounds like Psalm 1, doesn't it? That sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. That'll preach, won't it? For its leaves remain green, and he is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Whether heat, maybe you're in the heat of life right now. Maybe you're in a drought. I've been there. I've been in a drought before. Stay connected. It's fascinating. Mother Teresa, in her in one of her journals, she said, she wrote to somebody and she told the, the lady that she was writing to, she said, you know, all this stuff that I'm doing, so I just don't feel like, like I'm doing anything. I don't even feel like doing this. I just keep doing it. Just because I know God's called me to do it, I just keep doing it. I don't really have much passion involved. It seems kind of boring most of the time. Just doing it. Look what she was able to do because she stayed connected. Did she feel like that all the time? No. But she did that day. Do you feel like that sometimes? I do. If we're honest, just be honest with God. Stay connected and He's going to produce things in your life that you never even imagined. There's going to be joy there that you can't bring up from yourself. Joy that's unspeakable. It's unspeakable because it's not from you. (laughs) It's coming from the source. It's coming from the source. So, this morning, He's commanded us. It wasn't a a suggestion in verse 4, by the way. Abide in Me and I in you. That's a command. Are you abiding in Jesus? Are you living in Jesus? Is there fruit in your life that that's the truth? If there's not, look, nobody's judging here. We've all been there. And there are seasons where we become dry, where we need His life renewed in us. If that's you... I want you to join me uh, at the altar. Um, we need to break in these altars and, and we need to pray. We need to pray. We're going to take communion. And before we do, we want to take a time to just pray. So before we get the kids, I want you adults to pray. Uh, Rachel, if you would lead us just um, in some music here. Let's all stand as we pray and get connected to the source of all life, abundant life, good life, Jesus. Amen.